Hey folks, so we're here at part three of our food series and I wanted to do one on healthy eating. It was inevitable that after what we've talked about the last couple of episodes that I raised the question, what should we actually be putting in our bodies whenever we eat? What should it be composed of? Where should it come from? What should it look like? Uh, those are all really basic questions, I know, but I'm amazed at how much difference of opinion there is out there. Uh, you have people all over the, the map. I think we can pretty much all agree on, like, maybe you should eat spinach instead of drink a Coke, but on the other hand... Uh, there are lots and lots of differing ideas about all of the things that are kind of in between on the spectrum, what's healthy and what's not healthy. So I wanted to bring on an expert in this, and the only person who came to my mind at all is Dr. Tony Rector. This guy's solid gold. I've known him for about 15 years, and uh, our paths have crossed uh, many times in that last 15 years. And I just love the guy to death because uh, he is not your traditional... Uh, just take a pill and sign the bill type of doctor. He is a DO. He's not an MD, and he'll explain a little bit of that. But that that just basically means that he he really looks at the the patient as a whole and tries to treat the person as a whole. And it's amazing what this guy has been able to help people with just through changes of diets and uh, what they're putting in their bodies and how their bodies react into that and everything. And so he's not a traditional doctor. At the same time, he's very scientific. And so he's just like one of the most balanced people I know and uh, a great human being overall. And so I couldn't be more excited to interview him. So here he is, Dr. Tony Rector at the Integrative Wellness Center in Southlake. So excited today because I get to interview the venerable Dr. Tony Rector. If you haven't heard of Tony Rector, it's because he's a well kept secret. Uh, so, first of all, uh, you are a DO, you yes. are not an MD. So, tell us like what that means and just real basic like, sure. how do you approach medicine a little differently than my family doctor that I used to go to? Yeah. MD? So, DO, Doctor of Osteopathy. It's been around since the late 1800s. It was actually started by an MD. Its philosophical tenets are actually used by other areas. So it's not owned by osteopathy, but it has some of its roots there. Uh, the body works as a whole. The body has ability to heal itself. Uh, the body's musculoskeletal system, the muscles, bones, joints, all that stuff has an integral part of being health overall. So there's a lot of people think of DOs. They oftentimes and understandably can uh, marry that together, the idea of doing some form of adjustment manipulation, because that's also an added part of our training. Mm -hmm. So those are a lot of the, the, probably the most salient points that say, this is what philosophically osteopathic medicine is about. Well, I remember you were talking about adjustment and stuff. This uh -huh. is really funny because a uh -huh. uh, quick story on Dr. Rector in college, he was my college campus doctor. And that's how we first met. And you probably don't remember I it, don't. but I remember it very well, and there's a story, there's a backstory you don't know about. Um, but I do remember, uh, I had at some point, I had mentioned to you in your office that I had a little lower back pain or something, and you like wrenched me up like a pretzel, somehow did something where parts of me popped that I didn't know existed, and I felt a lot better after that. <laughs> <laughs> so I always thought that was cool. But um, I want to tell you about this part. It was first detected in me that I had high blood pressure in your office. Hmm. 
Well, at the age of uh, 24, I finally, like, my doctor had checked it, you know, in my annual physicals and stuff. And he's like, sorry, dude, you got to go on medicine. And so I was on blood pressure medicine at the age of 24. And I'm not terribly overweight. No. Um, I'm running, I'm exercising. I even, uh, I even started doing like longer runs and, and I ran a couple of marathons while right. I'm on blood pressure medicine okay. at a decently healthy weight. I just assumed I was going to be on it the rest of my life. It was in May of last year. My wife and I went on the whole 30 diet and we did it for a month. Yep. And two weeks into the whole 30 diet, I had to quit taking my medicine altogether. Because your blood pressure began to come down. Because it came down and you could tell it was low. Awesome. And I have not been back on it since. Awesome. Yeah. But anyways, you didn't know like you were the very beginning of no, what was kind of I like know. a long story. So anyways, what I want to ask you about is just like basically, like if our body is an engine, like I, I said in the first episode, uh, and our body you know, combines the fuel with the air we breathe, right. uh, the fuel that we eat with the air we breathe, Right. Um, what would be like the good fuel for the human body general overview right now yeah. like what should we be putting in our bodies they actually just published an interesting study that's relevant to this question it came out of harvard so you must be no it's it's harvard it's got to be there but it was right. a great study it was a prospective study which means they looked forward in time and tracked people it was over 20 plus years i can't remember exactly how long it was now these are people over age or at age 50 so we assume it has relevance before, but one of the things that came out says, if you want to live longer and better, eat mainly whole foods. We're going to define that right. and more plant-based foods than animal-based foods. Didn't right. say all or none. And okay. And so that'd be one of the first things I tell you. And that's been reproduced in some level in multiple studies and trials. Right. So what we mean by whole foods, the simplest thing that says, is if it looks like God created it, <laughs> that's close to our whole foods. Right. Or the funny way we say it, if you look at the label, if it's not in a bag, can, or box, and you don't know what some of those things are, how to pronounce them, those chemicals, or it has more than four or five of it, that's not whole foods. So theoretically, you should be able to tell that it was recently alive. Yes. Whatever that was. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so the closest you get, and particularly I would even say on the, on the plant base, so that means you actually go to the farmer's market or you buy some fresh produce and other, and you actually do the prep yourself. Mm -hmm. That would probably be one of the simplest things I would say, start with that part. Now, one of the principles that I also try to teach is what's called, and this is not novel, but biochemical individuality. Because one of the challenges I run, people run into is that they will say, doctor, just give me a way to eat. And I got to right. say, I got to listen to what's going on with them and how their body's right. made. That being said, there are principles. That's the first principle. The principle gotcha. number two is still under the umbrella of whole foods is eat a variety of foods. Okay. Mm -hmm. Try to avoid, and I would I'd qualify this to our Western culture gut. There are other mm -hmm. subcultures in worldwide that can probably get away with the same food groups. You think it's some ethnic tribes that, you know, above in the Arctic, that kind of thing. But try to mix up your foods. Mm -hmm. Okay. The third part is probably the more individualized part is the ratio of carbohydrates, fats, or proteins. For instance, really fad now is the ketogenic diet. Right. Okay. And, and that may be beyond the scope we're talking about, but that's mainly a fat-based diet. Right. Okay. That was actually one of my shotgun future... round questions okay, that I had it... at the end. Okay, I see. might or might not ask you is like okay. these diets. So. Yeah. So that is part of the individualization. So what I'm telling you is probably, 
a little bit oversimplified, but I will tell you that I will address the most common problems. We eat too many carbohydrates and we eat too many processed carbohydrates. If you just to briefly redefine processed carbohydrates, those are the starchy foods that have been refined by human production kind of stuff. Uh-huh. So white breads, white rices, pastas, you go down that primary list. Okay, We eat too many of those things. An unrefined carbohydrate is like a brown rice, a quinoa. Those are the two ones that really come to mind. Beans in the legume family have a right. fair amount of carbohydrates in as well. So that's pro- if I'd say keep your carbohydrate intake to marginal or less, you can argue on the percentage, and that's all over the radar screen, 30%, 40%, but you would easily say less than 50% of your total caloric intake are your food sources. Right. Yeah. So growing up, yeah. I remember the food pyramid. Yeah. Um, and before that, I'm sure there's something else, but then they, they moved it to like my plate or I think it's my plate right now, but there was the food pyramid and I distinctly yeah. remember the bottom of the food pyramid showed loaves of bread and rice and things like that. And it, it was the bread group. Yeah. And it was like, you need to eat six to 11 yeah. servings of bread a day. And mm-hmm. that's the foundation. Yeah. So you're telling me that like that pyramid or that at least the bottom part of that pyramid was not optimal? I or... would it go as far as for a significant portion of our society is an utter failure. Yeah. Let me flip that at backwards. What was, and I still see it, uh, guidelines given from the American uh, people, they've revised it, but I still people promote it from the American Heart Association, the low fat diet. Uh-huh. That pyramid partly came out of those guidelines mm-hmm. as far as cardiovascular disease, diabetes, pre-diabetes, it's a failure. Yeah. Okay. You could read some guys' work, Mark Hyman and other guys, who tell you it's just an abject failure. So no, no, and no. Um, okay. So let me ask you one other thing. Uh, on the pyramid, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in dairy, mm-hmm. it was on there, and I think it's like two to three servings a day of dairy or whatever. Yeah. But really popular in our culture everywhere. I see it at school every day. Uh, drink as much milk eat as much, you know, cheese and all this stuff because that's uh, classified as healthy. What's your take? I, this is not, I don't know. Well, uh, that, it gets political really fast. Right. I'm just telling you. Right. Most of this food period guide, uh, guidelines had people from their individual food board sitting at the table of that. So they had a hor- they had skin in the game. They're going to make a profit off of that. Right. The evidence suggests that, generally speaking, what form of dairy and less dairy are relevant and helpful. So I'm not a big dairy fan. Okay. Mm-hmm. And believe me, all dairy is not created equal. I just right. learned something new. The difference between with our processed dairy that it's called a one versus a two. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No, I have not. It's new information to me. Some people may know that as well, but you basically don't want as much as the a one milk that you get in most of your, which is your processed milk. Gotcha. It is well disproved disproved that you won't get enough calcium if you don't eat dairy. That's mm-hmm. as much marking as anything. Epidemiology, osteoporosis, we all know that relates to calcium, vitamin D, those things. Mm-hmm. Some of the highest incidence of osteoporosis are some of the populations that have the highest dairy intake. Uh-huh. So it doesn't correlate. Right. Uh, there's some work by a guy named Campbell. Um, he did some population studies that say in some groups it may even be related to cancer turning on genes, okay? Wow. Higher animal protein or dairy protein right. as well. 
So it was a general guideline. And I do a lot of people without sensitivities and gut reactions and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. It's in the top two category of creating those things that create fatigue, bowel disturbances, even mood changes. Well, out of the out of the two things that I have kind of pinpointed that I really think that I've tested the waters on that have affected me, mm-hmm. dairy's one of them, you know, grains are the other for That's me, or, or wheat. Um, and so, like, uh, as a uh, as a practicing physician that sees people every day um, and you deal with people's diets constantly, what are like just the broad overarching main errors that you think people are making in our diets? Uh, you, you hit on some of them earlier, but mm-hmm. like what are the things that mm-hmm. you see every day that you're like, yeah. if you would just quit eating this or if you would eat more of this? Yeah, um, it's work, but I would tell you it's probably the most common thing I see is people not realizing they're taking a lot of hidden uh, sugars in foods, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's always, a, over time of life, an unhealthy proposition for that part. Mm-hmm. The classic example is, I'm going to eat yogurt because it's healthy. Right. Huge amount of sugar added right. to yogurt, okay? And you've got to, and the food industry is not stupid. They're going to change the names and, and savvy that up. You're not going to see... Right. We're going to put table sugar in there and may, well, the other one's high fructose corn syrup thus far, but it requires you to be a student of, it, of, of label reading and be savvy about that part. And that's probably avoid hidden sugars. You see it in, uh, in sauces and creams and those kind of things. So okay. how many, how many grams of sugar per day should maybe an adult have on average? I, I know. Well, all sugars aren't created equal. Okay. Okay. And, and I would say the evidence suggests any processed high fructose corn syrup needs to be totally eliminated. Uh-huh. So this is your soda industry, right, your soft right. drink industry, as we say in Texas, have a Coke. You know, I'm just I'm being right. categorical. Dr Pepper. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's part of our epidemic that's really hurting our health is that part. So, but and then you've got into various degrees of sugars and carbohydrates and those kind of things. I would tell you that you can probably have easily 15 grams or so but that means what i would tell you is have a and they measure sugar how well it turns into or or intake how well it turns into blood sugar what's called glycemic index have a food that's relatively low glycemic index if you have a sugar let me get it contrast okay a banana versus a blueberry okay okay a banana will turn quicker to blood sugar which is what you want less of it okay a blueberry because of the amount of fructose in it and the fiber that's added to it also and other chemical uh, the other natural ingredients tends to be less reactive to create a blood sugar kick okay, okay. so you got to pick your sugars right and yeah. so if you're going to go by the guidelines you're talking about earlier it sort of works itself out that you eat whole whole things that you were preparing at home yes um, and, and it almost takes care of itself if you right. could say eat less that looks like of a bag can or box or microwave. It's really hard because I remember the first time I tried to cut sugar specifically out of my diet. Um, I found myself stumbling through the house, like kind of subconsciously, but not totally trying to eat stuff like peanut butter and things like that, just to sort of like curve the edge of the, the whole sugar addiction. And it really hit me one day. I was like, Oh my goodness. Like this, this has me you know, a little more than I realized. I think you made reference to your, on, on your addiction uh, yeah. blog that you did last fall. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, I probably yep. did. Yeah, I mean, did. it is, um, 
sugar is one of the most I'm, I read that it's more addictive or not more but as addictive as cocaine or, or whatever just as a substance I don't know if that it means definitely anything. can cause brain activity levels and comparable to those obviously known addictive drugs that's right. that's irrefutable that's no right um, so uh, if say the president called you tomorrow and said uh, <laughs> I need you to design the next uh, my plate um, what what would yours look like? Because I know you, you kind of deconstructed a little bit of yeah. the old pyramid, but yep. build up from the ground up, I guess. Yep. So uh, credit given, credit due. I didn't create this. I've modified a little bit. I'm. We're all products of our experience and our education. I'm a student of a leading uh, doc in this area, Dr. Andrew Weil. Yes. W-I-L. Okay. So, so I, I literally sat in his classes and studied under him in that sense. So he created what's called the anti-inflammatory pyramid. You can get on his website and pull it up. Okay. Okay. So it just, it basically is rehash. If you're going to bottle of pyramid, then you're talking about green and yellow vegetables. Okay. Okay. This is a pyramid. It's not a plate or. In a a sense, it's a pyramid in that sense. He he just basically used that concept that people were conditioned or cultured into, and he just morphed it into different methods. Right. Right. So, and then he, above that, you would, would go into, I, I would say, and I can't, is the healthier fat. So these are your, your nuts, your seeds, your grains, uh-huh. your avocados, your omega-3s, and your fishes, your cold water fishes. Okay. Okay. And then you would m- mix into probably a certain degree of animal proteins or carbohydrates from that. These are your grains, your uh-huh. beans and legumes probably be more appropriate that area. Okay. okay. And then he talks about, uh, now he, he's got a special interest in, in medicinal foods like mushrooms, but you get your uh, seasonings. That's an important part of it because mm-hmm. they have very strong, some of them have powerful abilities to actually help lower inflammation, which is a chronic undercurrent that promotes a lot of diseases in societies. Right. Okay. Right. And the top, then you add your, your occasional sugars, condiments, dairies, those kind of things. Okay. So this is the, the anti, what's it called? Anti-inflammatory diet. The anti-inflammatory yeah. Diet yeah. pyramid, Dr. Andrew Weil. Dr. Andrew Weil. He would put in a little bit of, uh, uh, for those who want to partake, some uh, uh, red wine occasionally uh-huh. because the, the stuff that makes it red is called resveratrol and that has potentially anti-inflammatory benefits as well. Okay, so uh, talk about the oils for just a second or the, the fats. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, there are some that are not quite as go-to as others. Oh, yeah. So give me your, maybe your top top three uh and bottom three as far as okay. the best and the worst. Just Okay, so the top ones are, in the, and they have to do with how much the chemistry is, how many is carbons versus bonds or double bonds, but they call them saturated, unsaturated, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So the better ones are, let's just talk about food groups. You, As long as you don't have a sensitivity to it or allergy to it, you're gonna, you can't go wrong with the seeds and nuts. And important qualifier that, peanuts are not a true nut. Okay. okay they're more of the bean family. Right. So walnuts, cashews, almonds, pistachios, av- uh, yeah, almonds, those kind of guys. Uh-huh. Then you get into your seeds as well as that. And there's some very nice qualities about that, even from heart disease to cancer prevention, that area. Then your fish. And generally speaking, the colder the fish and the smaller fish, the better off you're going to be. From sardines, probably don't go a whole, whole lot bigger on a regular basis than salmon. Uh-huh. You get bigger the fish, then you worry about mercury load on these fishes. Right, right. Okay. Because of the food chain. Yeah, so. and then rounded out out probably is the avocados that part. Okay. All then we get into the, uh, the probably the 
on the other end of the bad bears is by far, this is easy to disqualify, is the partially hydrogenated oils. Right. Okay. The trans fats. Yes. Pretty much conclusively shown to be nothing short of toxic. Okay. Right. And and even some municipalities have actually banned those. I think New York being the right. stellar right. case of that. Your body chemistry doesn't know what to do with that stuff. Mm -hmm. Then you get into the main saturated fats, which I would say should be in moderation, but you can get in the high weeds on the details of omega threes versus omega six. Mm -hmm. Let me give you a concrete example. If you buy a piece of beef, a routine feedlot cow, his fat, that fat will be different than if you got a grass fed, natural range fed cow. Because he's eating corn? In the, the feedlot? In the feedlot. And right. that will literally change the fat composition, not the quantity, but the composition. He'll have more omega-6 versus omega-3. What does that mean? There's that dirty word again, more inflammation. Right. Yeah. You don't want to create more inflammation because that's like fertilizer for heart disease and cancer. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, so anything with that, talk about like the number one that I see, this is everywhere, soybean oil. Where are we at on that? Not good on a couple levels. Um, your better cooking oils overall, primary available ones are coconut and uh, olive oil. Olive oil has a lower what's called flashpoint. You don't want to overheat it. It'll scald. Right, right. Coconut oil can handle higher temperatures. Mm -hmm. Now, there's exotics, macadamia nuts, avocado oils, right. and that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about generally available. For oil. middle class people. Yeah, <laughs> average American, go on a shelf and get you some. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, in the, and the other ones are typically definitely use less of it. Corn oils particularly is a problematic. Okay. Canola, as you mentioned, the soil. Soybeans. Well, look, I always always thought it was funny because uh, you know vegetable oil, soybean oil in particular is everywhere. Yes. Uh, so, like you know, if you get a, a, a jug of vegetable oil, it's going to have a picture of tomatoes and lettuce on the front. And I'm wondering how much oil they got. No, you look on the back and it's, it's soybean oil. And, that, and that's generally what's used in restaurants, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of the go-to cheap, it it's cheap version. It's not, maybe not the worst, no. but definitely nowhere near the best um, correct. oil to be. And that's one of the reasons why uh, going fast food line is problematic is not just what's the food, but what it's cooked with and in. Okay. So if somebody suspects that... Um, something's not right in my body kind of like me i'm like the whole time i'm going this is just not right i should not be on blood pressure medicine at the age of 24 and running marathons or whatever so like if somebody's suspecting something's not right and they can't pinpoint it and they just wanted to see if something in their diet was affecting mm -hmm. uh maybe they didn't have a doctor uh as amazing as you <laughs> Where could they start with just their diet? Well, given that they're basically reasonably healthy patients, that is, they don't have any major digestive disorders, they're not brittle diabetics, you know, all things being equal, that they're just right. saying, I want to improvement, something's not quite right. right. Then what you did, uh, versions of, like you mentioned, the Whole30, uh -huh. uh, the Daniel Fast, uh -huh. okay. The Daniel Plan. The Daniel that, Plan. Okay, and that's okay, uh, those, those Warren. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, um, um, the maker's diet. Uh -huh. Okay, those are all good whole food based programs that basically are trying to eliminate the processing of foods uh -huh. and going more the anti inflammatory route. And there's a lot subtext in the whole processing discussion as well. Yeah, and I think it's really important because uh, as much as you know, 
you don't necessarily want people to yeah. like self-diagnose or yeah. self-medicate or anything like that. There are a lot of doctors out there that will not uh, discuss diet with you. They just want to go straight well, to the medication or just, you know, boom, this is what's wrong with you and let me fix it with a pill. Yeah. Well, I'm very thankful to be a physician, but even as a DO, uh, doctors are notoriously under, uneducated about this. Uh-huh. I mean, we're horrible as a general rule. I, I had to go back to school, basically, to relearn this or to learn initially. So, so love my profession, but in my opinion, not the, the general physician's not your best source on nutritional guidance. So, like, if you're suffering with a chronic, uh, you know, disease or debilitating anything that you think, you know, could possibly uh, be remedied with food, it's at least worth exploring with a doctor who's maybe a little bit more educated on this. There's a whole growing field of what's called integration, integrative nutrition. Uh And there's certification in those tracks. Those providers are out there as well. Okay. Yeah. So let's just talk about the rest of us. Um, Okay. America, 70% overweight, 30% five-ish percent obese, obese. Mm-hmm. um and we also have people on the other end of the spectrum we deal with anorexia right bulimia um why are people stuck wow that's gonna go way <laughs> <laughs> we're not gonna be able to cover all that part um, you see a lot of common themes in here um maybe I, yeah. i'm assuming you deal with people every day yeah. that you're discussing diet with them yeah obviously food's part of it but we're now in an arena that it's not the original food, and I know I'm getting controversial, but there is a growing amount of evidence saying that genetically modified foods can actually have different biochemical messaging mm-hmm. in our body. Mm-hmm. One of the important principles that I think was the light bulb going off for me is food is much more than just calories and energy. It's literally sending messages of how your biochemistry should operate. Okay. When you start morphing those foods, those chemical messages can get crosswired right. and can promote those diseases. The math still matters. How many calories you take in matters sure. versus how many calories you burn up as it deals with weight. We can't avoid that, but it gets a lot more complex than that. 100 calories of broccoli is not the same thing as 100 calories of a spoonful of sugar. Uh, you said it perfectly. Okay. Yes. They, they actually help. Yeah. They send different messages, if you will, in the system. Okay. Yeah. Connect this, I guess, uh, to your spirituality. You're a Jesus guy. Yeah. How is eating a reflection of, of our soul and what's going on inside of us? <laughs> how, do, how do you allow food, I guess, to um, teach you about your own self? Yeah. Um, that probably could be a whole other discussion itself. And I feel, let's say, if the, if the pool is 10 feet deep on that subject, I can take you to five to seven feet deep, okay? <laughs> That's what a lot of the podcast is about, but I wanted an expert's okay. um, All right, so in. a couple of couple of levels, I would say that a first response, and I'm going to try to be positive the part is, one is God has blessed us with this amazing temple called the human creation, mm-hmm. Okay. Part of that, it glorifying God, is the care of that temple. And as I just alluded to, eating properly is a glorification of God by caring, self-care in that part. Okay? Mm. The other part is also we don't want to make idolatry our food in both extremes. What I mean uh-huh. by that is I do believe there is a sin called gluttony. Okay? Right. Now, that's politically incorrect, but it's biblical. Right. Okay? 
I'm not saying every overweight person is a glutton, though. It's a lot more complex. On the other end, there's the people in the body image dysmorphia that they gain a pound of fat or that, you know, otherwise, and they're, and they move into the eating disorder realm. Right. Then you have a, you have a distortion of the blessing of food. Right. Okay. So those are two parts of the spectrum. The, the other, and so realize who is your God, uh-huh. you know, because food I think can become idolatry for some people on both ends of the spectrum. Right, even if even if you're say an incredibly healthy person and you spend every waking hour thinking about what you're going to eat and how you're going to prepare, you know, your diet because you can eat all of the all of the spinach and leafy greens you want, you're still going to die someday. Yes. It, I never said, now I can talk about how good longevity is, but it, to me, if we're distilling down the fundamental form we're trying to reflect stewardship, responsibility, and glorification of God by this care of this temple. Right. Yeah. And to me, that's the fundamental point. So uh, I, I take it, uh, you, can, you can confirm this, that you're highly interested in people's quality of life while they're here. Yes. But also very humble about the fact that we can't fix everything. No, that's not, yeah. This side, of, I always say this side of the Garden of Eden, it's broken. Right. Yeah, it right. just, and, and sin's part of that, and until we have the full restoration, we do the best we can what we have. I'm still working on my job description in heaven, by the way. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what do you got so far? Uh, wildlife biologist. That's what I'm working on. Or That's the career that you never took? That's right. Okay. Or I'm thinking about being a bass player in a jazz band, so I I'm ha- working on that. Okay, man. well, I don't know a bass player in a jazz band, <laughs> but I do know a wildlife biologist. Uh, so maybe maybe yeah, look you up whenever you retire, if they let you. All right, let me give you a shotgun round real quick, okay? I'm just going to ask you a few questions. Um, so uh, you can just give me like a one-minute answer on this. Okay, organic. How important is organic versus non-organic in general? And are there certain foods that it's more important to eat organic because of the way they yeah. absorb? Growing body of evidence but not concluded, important, okay? Um, animal proteins, uh, and I would refer people to a website called ewg.org. Avoid the dirty dozen, eat the clean 15. You'll see it on the site, okay? That's your vegetables with, or fruits with the highest load of pesticides, et cetera, in it. And then I would go second, or close second to animal protein, chicken, you know, beef, et cetera. EWG.org. EWG, it stands for Environmental Working Group. Okay. Uh, What about the, there's a few faddish things out there. Uh Ancient grains versus other grains. Are there quinoa? Yep. Um, Frika and all of these other... Yeah, unclear, but I would refer that more to my context about genetically modified versus not. Okay. If I eat a grain here in the United States, it could I could eat the very same, quote, grain in the Mediterranean and I'd, my body could react differently because it had not been modified. Right, and they, they've they been modified both by selective breeding for thousands of years yes. and by, most recently, genetic modification. So, right, uh, it does correct. great for volume. It is questionable on individual biochemistry. I'm okay. saying volume, you know, less starvation, food production. Okay. So GMOs. Yes. Good, bad, complicated. Well, that's you, what I was touching you, on. You I would say earlier. complicated. Okay. And I would say on our Western gut, which is challenged for a variety of reasons. We haven't talked about that, which really challenges the gut uh, health overall. Okay. But I would say avoidance is, uh, is preferable. In our- to me, it seems like... A GMO is just means it's genetically modified. I'm yes. told, and I don't know. I'm not big on the in, yeah. in the food industry research. Anything, 
But I'm told that, you know, some plants can be modified to maybe have a little more protein yes. or maybe a little bit more of some, uh, yes. you know, a, a necessary supplement. But I had a farmer friend in Hillsborough, Texas, yeah. and I think what we're doing to it is more has more of an economic uh, reality to it because for him, they genetically modified, and this is feedlot corn that's going to the cows that you spoke of earlier. Right, right. Um, they genetically modified that corn. He calls it Roundup Ready, and farmers all know what it is. And basically what they've done to the plant is in order to make it where you don't have to spray, uh, don't have to, to weed the plants, uh, that corn can now, it's been genetically modified to absorb more Roundup without dying. So you're literally feeding more Roundup to the cows now. So it's not... You're, you've Always opened just, Pandora's box, my friend. So yeah. uh, glyphosate is the generic uh, uh-huh. Roundup. Round and I and I had the privilege of actually sitting in a class with the, and I apologize, I can't remember his name. He's a French PhD who is the international expert, lead, probably the most renowned guy on that issue. And I would tell you it is a problem, worrisome, and I know highly controversial, but potentially highly creative of health issues well it it's made me you know like i i have a hard time feeding my family on my salary as it is yeah and it's gotten to be pretty obvious that healthy food's going to cost quite a bit um i can't buy every single thing quite as raw organic earthy as i want to but it has made me stretch my dollar to try to help fund some of the organic food that's out there just because right. I think if more people do it and right. throw money at it, then that could turn the tide. Yes. So. Now, let me add one little thing that okay. it's imperfect, but I think it's usable. If you if you we will start supporting some of our local farmers markets. Right. Right. Some to get an official organic label is expensive. Uh huh. I work on a system trust. If I go to a farmers market, I'm going to ask this guy: Did you use fertilizers? Use insecticide? Did you basically use organic soils or otherwise? Uh huh. If he tells me yes, I'm going to take him at face value at that. I could be wrong otherwise, but I'm trying to produce a local farm-to-table market as well for these people. Right. That has a double positive. You're you're supporting local, and actually there's data saying the closer to pick to the time you eat it has better nutrient value as well. Right. The closer it was to being alive, the more life it has in it. Kind of. I'm just saying in a trust system, these guys saying they're doing organic, I'm going to go with it for the most part. Because they're small business. They can't afford to get the official organic label. Right, right. Okay, uh, one more shotgun round. Uh, should uh, average people take a multivitamin? Is this, um, I mean, if you're decently healthy and yeah, eating healthy? Uh, the data is mixed on this. There's okay. no, conclu- so I'm going to work backwards. There's no conclusive data of the definitive benefits. I generally recommend it for two or three reasons why. The industrialization of foods show convincingly that our micronutrients have been depleted since the 1960s. Uh-huh. Okay, we've we've wearing out our soil, so to speak. Okay, so what you're trying to do is give some replenishment of micronutrients. The other part is actually the stressful world, and some of the B vitamins you get in your multis can help offset some of that stress response. Okay, okay. Well, let me close it out with this one. Um, what's your food vice? My food vice typically on a stress day. You know, I can. I- Oh no, can you believe it?
it was right there at the moment of suspense that I accidentally, in my very first podcast interview, shut my laptop lid and cut the recording off prematurely. So, sorry about that. I know you're dying to know his vice, and it happened to be a great vice. It's one of mine, Chips and Salsa. Which, I know, it's kind of like, is that really a vice? Uh, but <laughs> it is, uh, apparently, and that was, that was his. But listen, next week, I'm going to be on with uh, three great men. Uh, we're doing an interview uh, with some guys that have made some changes in their lives. So these are not experts on health or fitness or nutrition so much as people who have actually walked the walk and just actually did some practical changes and now they're so much healthier for it and so I can't wait to get to them that'll be um, David Meyer Chris Hatchett and Jonathan Henry all three on next week for another interview session and can't wait to post that one up we'll see you then a lot of love a lot of grace a lot of peace to all of you out there